around and uh, receive all of that. So 1 Corinthians 12 is where we'll be picking up again tonight. We are in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. And this is our, our we're, we're preaching expositionally through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we've got to the, the three chapter section that Paul spends explaining applying, rebuking, encouraging the use of spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church. It was a haywire mess of a, a freak show, um, spiritually speaking. They had gotten their ideas from the culture uh, in terms of what true Christian uh, spiritual power was. They, they all wanted to be the big shot. They all wanted to be the guy or the gal up front speaking in the most impressive tongues and spiritual phenomenon going on in your life. That's the sign of maturity. They were they were uh, all, all together neglecting holiness. There was still sexual impurity. The Lord's Supper was being abused. There was rich people abusing poor people, people suing each other and then coming together and pretending that they're filled and one in the Spirit and, and uh, doing all sorts of seeking after miracles. Well, Paul has spent chapters and chapters refocusing them on the gospel, refocusing them on the glory of God, refocusing them on God's commandments for their righteousness, and now he gets to that section where he's addressing the spiritual gifts, or what we've been calling the charismata of the church. Charismata is just that Greek word for a gracious gift. We even sung in our, in our song tonight that Jesus, our Redeemer, is a gift of grace from God. Gift of grace is that word charismata, which is used for the charismatic spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts are what God gives to his church, individuals in the church. Everybody has some spiritual gifting whereby the Spirit manifests the power and work of Jesus in your life for the building up of the church to the glory of Jesus and the salvation of souls. That's what we've been covering the last couple of weeks. That's what spiritual gifts are for. Your empowerment for building up the church, for saving souls to the glory of King Jesus. However, in Scripture, the, the grace gift is, is used more than just of the spiritual gifts in the church. Gifts of grace include, well, other things are called that. They have that terminology, like faith, that's a gift of grace. Regeneration, that's called a gift of grace. Jesus and eternal life are called gifts of grace. So I say that just to sort of put it in categories that the spiritual gifts are not down the line a bit for the super Christians or they're not this sort of tangential part of the Christian life that you unlock a level and you level up and it all goes crazy spiritual in all the conferences and then we do the Christian life over here. But they are interwoven with all the commandments, all of the mission of the church, all of the other gifts that God gives to us. It is not as if he gave his son, he gave salvation, he gave regeneration, he gave faith, and then as sprinkles on top, he throws down some spiritual gifts. But these gifts are a part of Christ to us. They are a part of the work of the Spirit in us. They are not separate from Jesus or the Spirit. They are a part of who they are as we relate to them. <clears throat> now, I'm going to read chapter 12, verse 12 through to 30. I ask that you would uh, be, be intentionally focused reading here. It's a large section, and you'll uh, uh, benefit and derive the greatest growth from this. Hear now the word of our triune God. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. That would, uh, and if the uh, eye should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. May God bless the reading and explanation and hearing of his own inerrant, authoritative, precious word among us this evening. As we come here, we need to realize just as, as, uh, as we start out that when he talks about this body with many members, it's important to realize he's talking about the local church. Many people uh, interpret this text or think about this text sort of at the you know, back of their mind, and they think that it means the whole church around the world, this invisible collection of all of God's uh, believers, that's the, the body, and each church is a member of it. And one, while that's one sense that Paul will use that analogy in other sections of Scripture, today's uh, portion, he is speaking of the body as each local church. This might jimmy up some of our categories. You know, does Jesus have millions of bodies on the earth? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, he does. He has many local churches, and each one of them is to function as a head-to-toe body. That's the reality. The, the local church, I think, has, has lost so much of its significance in Christianity that people will, will maybe church hop, jump here, jump there, find a good sermon, go where I think is, is uh, uh, convenient for today. I don't want to be tied down with all of this legalistic membership, things like that. And what we need to realize is that Paul's heart, Paul's writing tells us if you honor Christ, if you love his body, then Find a body to plug into. Decapitated hands, plucked out eyes, chopped off feet, or scattered all around the place are not God's design. They're meant to be plugged in, functioning in a body. That's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to see really the emphasis that every church has many different body parts, and yet we are all one together, functioning healthily for the good and the glory of God. Look there at verse 12. <clears throat> 12 through 14, we see this 
all-important lesson to learn that the many are one. I'm not going to have to run you through a detailed anatomy lesson today to uh, reiterate the fact that your body has many different body parts. I know some of us are studying nursing here, are practicing medical professionals. We can get you up later to explain it all. But we all understand we've got multiple different body parts. And yet, you're not going to, uh, and you do not relate to one body part as if it belongs to somebody else. That's yours. You, every part of you, as long as it's in this body, is you, and you are in it. Uh, it, it raises this, this, this confusing question or, or, or a, a reality that it points to is this, what is called the mystical union, it's called that for a good reason, mystical union between Christ and his church. If you're somebody who has had faith in Jesus Christ, his death, you have received his death in your place. His resurrection, you trust to be the seal of eternal life. His judgment that he received, you trust to be judgment for your sins. You trust Christ for salvation. God killed him in your place. God rose him to take you with him. You are saved by his finished work. If that's you, what the Bible tells us is that you've been so joined to Jesus Christ. There's this mystical, very confusing, amazing spiritual union between you. So that uh, as, as the church comes together, each individually we're made one with Christ, and then corporately we're made one together, so that Jesus looks down, or the angels look down, and we look around and we say, here's the church, and it is the body of Christ. And one category I would want to say, let's, let's put our thinking caps on, is the church Jesus? And we would all together have to say, well, no, we are fallen, we are sinful, we're not Jesus, he's in heaven, he's on the throne, he's the Lord, we're the church. Church submits to the Lord. And yet in another sense, if Paul is here saying that the church is the body of Jesus, then is the church Jesus? And maybe we awkwardly want to, we, we want to hold back and let's not commit any heresies here, but, but yes, in a sense, the body is the person. Uh, this body is not anybody else. It's me. I know I'm more than just the body. I'm the spirit inside as well, the mind enacting. And yet there's this, there's this all-important way that we need to think of the significance of the local church. No wonder he sent his spirit to sanctify it. No wonder he gives his word to, to guide it because he cares about us. He identifies so closely with us that, that on the earth, we are him. We are his image. We are where people look to see and learn of Christ. We are in Christ, in his body, unified with him, members each of the body. And it's important to ask, what, what starts this? What is the, the source of all of this? And it is the spirit. <clears throat> it is the spirit. Look at verse 14. Ah, sorry, verse 13. He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, Every one of us, different backgrounds, races, jobs, incomes, whatever. All of us come on a level playing field to Jesus and are all body parts. But he says that we were baptized into this body by the Spirit or that we were baptized into the Spirit is another way that it could be read. And then at the end of verse 13, it says, and we were all made to drink of the Spirit. There's sort of this double analogy going on. That, that Jesus takes us and as we come into his body, he immerses us, that's the word for baptism, dunks us into the spirit and then we start drinking the spirit. Is that our whole existence now is in and we're breathing and we're drinking the spirit. We are fully immersed by him. That is what brings us into Christ. 
That is what enables us to have these gifts and these workings and this righteousness. We're in and nourishing on and drinking the Spirit. This, this double-sided, powerful analogy. That's you, if you're a Christian. In the Spirit, drinking the Spirit, all together engulfed. It's important to ask, what is the source, what is the source of this, uh, this spirituality? Many think, I think we need to just sort of dig under the cover here a little bit, Many think that the way you really amp up your level of spirit is by being at, you know, that conference. Lights down, trickly lights on, bit of, bit of smoke going, and that'll bring us sort of into the presence of, of God and, and really engaging in and, and increasing our level of spirituality. We think that maybe even uh, if we can be in a situation where we're using our gifts, then we'll get more of the spirit, we'll, we'll be more spiritual. <clears throat> I think we devalue Christ we demean Christ if we make the prerequisites or means for receiving the Spirit anything other than our faith union with Him. What, you, what, what receives the Spirit, what engulfs us in the Spirit, what makes us to drink of the Spirit is that we are in Christ. That is what is important. It's not, in fact, as many, many would think. Uh, I remember I was, I was at a conference a while back. I've, I've had, a, had a pass in some in Pentecostal church, and I was sort of at a leaders, leaders' conference, and there was a big, powerful worship session. It was awesome. I loved the songs. Preaching was pretty good. It was great to be there. And I walked out, getting a coffee afterwards, and a dude, you know, was still shaking with excitement. He asked me, man, did you catch the spirit in there? I'm like, nah. Caught him a while ago. Uh, got him when I got saved, sort of downloaded the lot, and it, it's all good. Oh, I was edified. Loved what was going on. Loved the words, but no, I didn't catch the spirit. We make the spirit as something that we can download depending on how empowered our feelings are or how exciting the situation is. But the source of the spirit is being in Christ. Paul makes this point before he starts getting into all the nitty-gritty about tongues and prophecy in chapter 14. Your confidence that you have the spirit is that you are in Christ. This goes against an entire, as we, we spoke about last week, an entire category of Pentecostal theology, which says, and maybe you've been abused by this before, that you come into Christ by faith, you get water baptized, but then later on, you need to be spirit baptized. You need the spirit to now come into you so that you can live the Christian life powerfully, go into ministry, and the sign and seal that everyone has when you get the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. That is the entirely opposite sense and direction that Paul makes in this text. His whole point is that we are all equal. We all have the Spirit because we're in Jesus. There's no second tier. There's no other level. There's nothing you have to rise up to. We are in Christ. We have the Spirit, every one of us, and giftings don't determine our level of maturity. So it's not all about whether or not you've had an amazing spiritual experience. It's about being in Christ. It's not about whether you've had moments of tremendous giftings. It's about being in Christ. It's not about whether you've been in an amazing worship service and session. It's about being in Christ. It's not about whether you've been given an amazing job or an office in the church. It's about being in Christ. It's not about being necessarily doing all the right things and ticking all the boxes of Christian obedience. It's about being in Christ. It's not about trying to uh, step into a certain spiritual gift and have that happen to you. It's about being in Christ. Christ, if you want to walk in the will of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit on his mission, the number one thing you must consider is, are you in Jesus Christ? 
He repented of your sin. He left it behind to follow Jesus, trust Jesus as the crucified lamb, the risen savior, sitting on the throne as the king who gives his spirit to us. And if you have, you are a spiritual one. You are that gifted by the spirit. And so we are all, every one of us, because we are, well, as, as, as he'll recap in verse 14, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is the church. We are all very different. We have different testimonies, different giftings, but we are one and we are equal because we are in Jesus. Amen? Amen. And now we see here now in verse 15 through 20, this, this real anti-fragile approach of Paul to people who want to devalue themselves in the body. Do not devalue. I want, I want you to hear me say tonight, do not devalue yourself because of your gifting or your skill level in the Christian church. An often overlooked part of this whole discussion, because there's, there's people whose who, you know, pride and self-importance can manifest in different ways. Sometimes pride and self-importance manifests in, in, in outward acts of pomp and fame and popularity and arrogance. And other times, pride and self-importance manifests as withdrawal and feeling bad for myself. That's, that's pride as well. And so Paul's going to address that now in verses 15 through 20 and really say there's, there's no excuse to feel so bad for yourself that you can't get involved in the life of the church. Verse 15 and 16. He says, If the foot should say, feeling sorry for itself, having a pity party, oh, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Then we need to hear this as a rebuke. Your feelings of being undervalued or your feelings of being mistreated, whether it's right or wrong, maybe you have been undervalued and mistreated, but that doesn't determine reality. And you do not thereby have an excuse to withdraw from local church mission service and say, well, well, they didn't appreciate me being the eye, so I'll pluck myself out. This wasn't one of those pretty ears. I don't, ears aren't pretty. My wife has pretty ears. Everyone's ears are weird and ugly. But uh, mine included, I'm, I'm confessing here. But, but here, here it is, we, we, we have this ide ideology that people can feel like, you know, they don't like me, they don't value me, I won't serve them. I'll, I'll pull back, I'll draw back, I'm, I won't be putting my hand to service for the king. And, and what we might expect from Paul is a very 21st century evangelical approach of fragility, of a pastor just saying, oh geez, I'm so sorry, Please, please serve. I'll give you a really good position. Might even try and get you on staff, get you some money. We'll get you a box of flowers. I'm sorry. Please serve and forgive us. I'm sorry we didn't make you feel important. But what his actual approach is, in a loving pastoral way, he's been speaking to them with force all throughout this book. And he says now, for the good of God and the glory of his son, get over yourself. <clears throat> get over yourself. Your feelings don't determine reality. You're a body part, and body parts don't choose if they're needed or not. While the foot in this example, the foot and the ear, are having their own, their own pity parties about themselves, Paul says, don't sever the connection that is in the body. Many people feel like, well, if, if I avoid the responsibility and I don't get involved, I won't be judged by that. I'll, I'll have an excuse. But, but that's not the reality, because those people offending you those people undervaluing you, that church who doesn't make you feel all important, they're not Lord over the church. They're not the ones who died and bled for you. 
They're not the ones who redeemed your life to serve them. Jesus is that one now sitting on the throne, commanding through Paul in the letter to the Corinthians to get active in the service of the mission of Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. Forgive sin against you. Love covers a multitude of sin and put that hand that Christ has redeemed to work. The only way to avoid the rebuke of Jesus Christ, our King, on Judgment Day is meaningful involvement in a local church. I try to be so specific on this point because so many people will try and excuse it and go, well, my, I'm universally holy and I'm sort of generally involved in the church and I encourage my friends and I do things online. I'm, I'm sort of involved in the universal, invisible church. Paul's saying, no, you're a body part that belongs somewhere in a local church. Every other act of Christian service or lack of service will receive a rebuke from our king on judgment day. And so this, this strong encouragement comes through in verse 17 when he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? He's speaking to those people who feel undervalued and, and feel like they need to pull out now. He says, no, 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 before, before you run away and have the pity party, don't you realize that you have value? It's a sin to undervalue your gifting and yourself because Christ has purchased you for himself. Verse 18, he says, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, you included, that you are gifted as you are with the past that you have by God's ordaining, by God's sovereign choice. Do not despise that and feel that you are less than others. It says, going on in verse 18, if the whole body were an ear, where the whole body would, were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Ah, oh, sorry, verse, I just read 17. Anyway, in 18, uh, he says, God arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Despite other people's opinions of you, friends, they do not discount what God has put into you by the Spirit because of the purchasing of your soul by Jesus. You need to consider his word over you and his calling for you to be more significant. And, and I think what Paul does here is sort of get us into this sci-fi Ridley Scott uh, uh, mindset. Can you imagine, if you, if you want to be consistent, you want to be like that guy, everybody should want to be like that guy because he's an eye and eyes are really cool. Can you imagine a body that is completely covered in eyes? Can you imagine a body that is made of nothing but ears? That's disgusting. That's the sort of thing you employ Sigourney Weaver to throw out the side of a spaceship. That's the thing you, you shoot in the head. You, you, can you imagine a, a, an, an all-eye being coming in here? No one's attracted by that. That's completely unhelpful. Can't speak anything, of course. Can't smell the wonderful hospitality team's cooking out there, of course. But, it, but it's a feral monster. The beauty in the Christian church, our unity in the Christian church, depends not on our uniformity, that we're the same, but on our unity, that being different, we come together as one. And the body functions not because it's 100 kidneys or 50 ears, but because we are all together different yet complementary serving Jesus Christ by God's design. He designed the human body. He designed the church. And you are a part of it. Do not devalue yourself. And he'll say now, going on from verse 21, also don't devalue others. Now maybe you're... You're, you're the type who feels devalued, so you'll devalue back and look at those up front. Well, they don't have my humility or something like that. Maybe true. 
Or you're going to be somebody who's more upfront, more seen, more, more showable, and you're going to start devaluing and discarding the less important, apparently to you, other Christians. Paul's going to say here, do not devalue other people. Now he's going to use the, the, the language of the eye, who was the one that the ear wanted to be like, remember? Well, now it's the eye getting all uh, self-important. Uh, if the eye was to say to the hand, I have no need of you, <clears throat> nor again the head to the feet, saying, I have no need of you. No, that cannot happen. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that we think, sorry, that seem to be weaker are in fact indispensable. Paul's turning the tables now and using those who feel self-important, talking back in this analogy back to those who seem less important. Because the worldly way of thinking is those with less strength in the church less prestige in the church, less uh, showability. They are number one less important and therefore they get less investment. They are less important and therefore we invest in them less. Give them less time, give them less energy, give them less emotion, give them less pastoral counsel and insight and support and encouragement. They're not as important, they're not as public. So they don't get the same amount of honoring service to upbuild them. Paul is now gonna show us that in fact, by taking an analogy of the body, but even uh, uh, in strict commands that he's giving us as an apostle, we ought to think as Christians entirely oppositely. What would it look like if Christ, the all-important one, didn't care for those seemingly less important than himself, or, or truly less important than himself? Well, there would be no salvation. There would be no gospel. There would be no king being massacred as a lamb for the lost sheep. No, that, that wouldn't happen if Christ had that worldly mindset. Instead, having all, he laid it down to bring us into the very nature of God himself, unified to him, saved by him, redeemed. Now, if we are to be his followers, empowered by his spirit, it is utterly oxymoronic now to start turning that on its head and saying, the spirit is given to me for self-importance to discard and devalue the lessers. Absolutely anti-gospel that thinking is. What he tells us here when he's talking about the, 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 the weaker parts of the body actually often end up being pretty important and the, invisible, the parts of the body that we hide are actually pretty necessary for our existence. <clears throat> he's saying here, right, that uh, the, the, it's, it's not the case that simply because an organ in your body, right, think this through, is it true that simply because it is invisible to my current naked eye that it is unimportant? Absolutely not. What, you, you're going to discard your kidney because you can't see it, and it, 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 can't, it doesn't appear in the photographs. You're going you're to not care whether or not you have a spine simply because I, I can't see it. Now, can you imagine a body without all of the invisible bits? That is a wax museum. That is not a real living human. That, that is a stuffed body with nothing essential on the inside. If, if, your, if your kidneys, your heart, your lungs were all taken out, and, and friends, they're on the inside because they're more tender. They need the protection of those things on the outside. This is God's design. But they're not less important. They are more tender, needing protection. They're not less important simply because they are invisible. They are vital, vital to the church's existence. So we, we have 100, maybe 95% maybe of the work that is done in the church in, in terms of man hours and, and service is utterly unseen on a Sunday service. And, and we're not going to go just to make everybody feel equal, rip a kidney out and put it on the stage for everybody to look at. That's not going to do good for the church. 
And likewise, we're not going to go and pull all of those who do all the accounting and the financial work and, the, and all, of the, all that stuff and pull them up and, and then do a big, sh- you know, do a Sunday service version of that. No one is edified by that. That's the sort of work that by nature is gone, goes on being unseen. And yet, Paul wants us to know simply because something is invisible, maybe your skill, your gifting, your job is not very visible. Do not let it be devalued. And friends who have more outward gifts, do not devalue those parts of the body that are less visible. And then he sort of uses this second analogy of clothing. <clears throat> He's using a euphemism here that is actually just a little bit rude for a nice and uh, respectable apostle. He says, uh, those parts of your body that are less presentable, uh, what do you do with them? Obviously, we keep them privatized. We put underwear on them, and then we put pants on them, and then we secure that with a belt, and some of our good brothers will also wear suspenders, just in case. Because uh, we're not going to say they're they're unimportant, but they're unpresentable. They're they're not the ones that, uh, they're not like the eye. The eye, the gals will put the makeup on. The eye is, is always, you know, front and center for the photographs, okay, right? There's other body parts that if they appear in photographs, you're getting arrested, right? That, 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 that sort of body part, there's, there's a difference between privacy and, and, uh, and, and the showability of some body parts. And Paul wants us to think that we're not, think of the, the gifts of the church, that you know, maybe it's like accounting. See, it's those unpresentable parts. Not everybody wants to see that, get involved in that. It's just not good. He says those things, being private, is not being cut away to the side, discarded and dishonored. He's actually saying that those unpresentable parts are honored by the clothing. It's not as if you're hiding and throwing away and chopping off those parts. He's saying by by the added layers, you are putting extra effort, extra resources, extra time into those things because they are less presentable. So that the hand and the face and the feet, which are just a little bit more presentable, put in the extra work for the unpresentable parts. And so this, this applies to then how we think of the Christian church. We don't, we, we, we don't think of those who take more effort, who are weaker, maybe have less impressive giftings, and push them away. Rather, we bring them in. We clothe them more with strength and encouragement. We, we don't just try and be those who have the public gifts and want to just be a part of the cool crowd at church. Go after, go always hanging out and, and having fun times when there are sheep and where are people and there are organs in the body that need honor and time and investment and emotional encouragement, and prayer, and opening the Bible, because one guy hears it, and he learns it, and this guy hears it a million times, and he still can't get it, or he still falls back into the same patterns, and what do those strong parts of the body do? Come to the aid of the weaker. Christ was given great glory that he might bestow it upon us. We are not then given great gifts and strength so that we can neglect the weaker parts, as Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, but bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And in this way, verse 26 is fulfilled. When one member suffers, all members suffer. In other words, when when one leg has a a sprain or a break, the other leg doesn't go, sweet, my time to shine, now I can hop. Other leg can get lopped right off and it's me all over again. That's right. Or or the kidney, when when one fails, the other doesn't just love that it gets to do double the work and get honored. No, no, they, they seek to help. This is why you limp. This is why you might use crutches, that the other body parts come to the aid of that part that is 
weak or hurt or injured. This is how the church should work. Like the immune system, one is hurt, one is being abused, one is afflicted, one is tempted, and we rush like blood cells to those parts that are needed in order to give to them strength and prayer and spiritual encouragement. It is the suffering of one body that stirs the others to join with it and help it, and it is the rejoicing of one part of the body that causes the others to rejoice, not, not in covetousness. How many of us are so quick to be jealous, to snide, to... To, to double-guess other people's motivations and hearts when they are either promoted or, or given giftings or service. Father, we should rejoice when each other part of the church re, uh, rejoices. And now we come to this uh, all-important verse to co- sort of conclude what Paul is talking about as the body. He says, verse 27, you are the body of Christ. Together, you together, this local gathering is the body of of Jesus Christ, the God, man, Savior, King, Lord. This, this is where he chooses to manifest himself. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So that each one of you is important and the whole is the aim of each individual. This is the heart of the Christian bent towards the will of God. Then he comes here now to sort of speak of the in this body that there was a, a level of priority or primacy of gifts given that was necessary for the upbuilding of the church. You have to note, when Paul starts using this word first and then second and then third, he's, he's not so much talking of chronology that one came, then the next, and then a few months later, the next one, though that might in some measure look to be happening through the book of Acts, but actually he's talking about a level of priority and importance. That first, there are apostles who laid the foundation, who bore witness to the resurrected Jesus, who did miracles, healings, and preachings, and church planning in the mission, unlike any other generation of Christians will. That was the apostles. Then he's going to say, that then the prophets came, and, and they were subservient to the apostles, and yet still helping lay the foundation, Ephesians 2 tells us, by revealing mysteries from heaven, preaching on the mysteries of Christ being revealed that would go into our written word. And then thirdly, uh, very importantly, and yet subservient to the prophetic and apostolic offices, is that of the teacher, who would take the once-for-all delivered truth to the saints, as it's called in Jude. He would take this finished canon of Scripture and revelation from God, not adding to it, not receiving prophetic gifting to write more, but opening it, explaining it, applying it for the people of God. This is the job of the shepherd, pastor, teacher, elder in the local church. And then he'll, he'll list some others here, won't he? Then he says, <clears throat> uh, where are we? Verse 28. He says, God appointed in the church, first and foremost were apostles. Secondly, were prophets. Third, teachers. And then he loses his numerical scaling and just starts throwing together important ones uh, in, in, a, in, a, in an order that were important for the upbuilding of the church. So then miracles, we looked at that last week. Then gifts of healing, we covered last week. New ones are helping and administration. And we also covered last week various kinds of tongues. Now you might think at that point, we've just spent a whole bunch of verses driving home that there's not an importance level in the church. That if you have some gifts, you're up on the top tier. If you have other gifts, you're down lower. Didn't we just prove that? Didn't we just explain that? And yet Paul's here going to say, the most important ones, the first and foremost primary gifts are apostles, then prophets, then teachers. 
there's two different kinds of ordering. There's a, there's a way of ordering that the world wants to do, which is according to status. The better people, the people who get all of the honor. And then there's God's way of ordering, which is according to productivity and upbuilding. So we're even going to see in chapter 14, in a couple of weeks' time, that, that Paul will say there are more important gifts in the local church. Not because there's a better version of the Spirit or more spiritual type of people. He means there are some gifts which, when utilized, do amazing work in building up the church. And there are other gifts which less tend to do so. Earnestly desire, therefore, those which build up the local church. So that's what he means. And the apostles built it up indeed. Also, the prophets worked with the apostles in the time of revealing scriptural revelation and then passed down into being subservient to teachers and pastors in the local church, no longer revealing new truth of revelation, but application and, and wisdom and prophetic insights into situations. And what we haven't yet covered, as we see here, the gifts of helps and administration. Helps is this word which really can apply to so many different things as it is in the New Testament. These are the people whose giftings it is to serve the needs of the local church. These are the people, I'm probably going to cover a whole lot of you tonight when I say this. These are the people who are really great financial stewards who are working either in our office or you are generous givers, though generosity is another additional gift. Financial stewards, you're the data organizers, you're the setup team, you're the cleanup team, you're the, the, the crew who stream the service to online, run the social media groups, run the app, organize our volunteers, help our mums, cook into the kitchen, serve the dinner afterwards, run the tech stuff, do repairs around the place, do painting when youth members put holes in the wall. All of those things are parts and needs of the church which are supplied by the Spirit through individuals. So when you do those things, and, and, and I love that Paul went right here after all the miraculous, amazing apostleship, teaching, and prophets. Oh, and those who help. Let's remember, the less visible, the beating heart, not seen, goes right alongside the eye and the hand that are much more visible. So important. God bless you if these are the ways that you serve. And then he uses the word here, administration. Many people sort of categorize this and think that this is the, well, this is the office job, the sorting through files and whatnot. And, and that would be an anachronism to sort of apply our modern-day usage of a term back into the Bible times. The word that he uses here is the same word for the helmsman of a ship. The guy standing at a ship and directing and coursing and planning out the, the mission and the direction and giving orders to those underlings to set the sail up, pull it down, starboard side, and whatever other things sailors say. It's the same word in the modern-day Greek for an aviation pilot. These are people who gifted so powerfully with organization and without losing ideas of the specifics, who are really gifted with vision and planning and yet overseeing volunteers, who are great at having big picture thoughts while not losing sight of each individual step. These are those who are sometimes elders, sometimes working alongside elders uh, in the ministry of the church, sometimes men, sometimes women, those who are directors and managers, office bearers in that way. These are that gifting which every church who seeks to make momentum needs these people. These are just, it doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? 
the planners, the organizers, the orb chop writers, the, the, the budget directors and people who plan the mission and vision direction of the church, subservient to the elders and the word of God. But this is so needed. This is so practical. This is, this is the communications manager, the director of operations and whatnot. Maybe you're gifted in that way. God bless you. Boy, do we have work to do as the church who is surrounded by millions of souls careering towards an eternal hell. This church is the body of Christ given to the world to win it, to preach to it, and to see them saved in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He closes out by really just listing them all and going, are all apostles? No, of course not. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do we all have the same gift? He's reiterating the original point. We're different, but we're one. We're, we're, we're in multiplicity. We, have, we don't have uniformity. We're, we're all different, but we're on one mission. This is his point. No, in response to the Pentecostals, we don't all speak in tongues. We don't all prophesy. We are all used by Jesus. And this is the great glory of God in the church. The verse 7 will read, You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now we be those who are considering the glory of Christ, the good of others, and the upbuilding of the local church as more important than ourselves, for that is what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you and we need the guidance and the empowering of your spirit if we would be a church that makes a difference in eternity. If we want to be those who see souls saved, who see other churches planted, missionaries sent out, people groups that are entirely unreached by your gospel, reached by the preaching of missionaries. If we want to see many souls in heaven who who came to Christ because of our witness and our giving and our work and our service, Lord, if any of us in the body of Christ will be effective to your glory, we need your spirit to work. We ask, Lord, that you would give us repentance for all of those times when, when the spirit's gifting became about us to us, when it was about position or pomp or fame. Father, Lord, we ask that you would make us humble, give us the, a heart, a passion, for the winning of souls, the upbuilding of the church at all costs. If you'd make some of us to labor in obscurity and in silence for decades, give us the heart to do so. If you'd give to us some who will be up front and preaching to many thousands, reaching millions with the gospel, then Lord, give them the humility to match such a calling. But we pray, Lord, that this church would not be ineffectual and slow to respond to your call to preach the gospel to all nations. And as we go, would your spirit empower us, keep us uh, 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 displaying his gifts and his fruits while empowered by him. And everybody who loved Jesus and is passionate about the local church's mission to preach the gospel said, amen and amen. Can you stand?